Dosri Nune Gor Holodeck Cash. Welcome to the Holodeck is Broken, a Star Trek rewatch podcast. I'm your Captain Laura. I grew up watching most of Star Trek. I'm your first officer, Mac. I've watched way too much Star Trek. I'm Eris, your communications officer, and I've seen some of it. I'm Z, chief security officer, and I have no idea what's going on. Our seven-year mission. To rewatch all of Star Trek from the very beginning. Boldly going where everyone but me has gone before. Hi, everybody. I'm Laura. And I'm Mac. And uh, welcome to episode three of the medical emergency edition of The Holodeck is Broken. Most of the world has decided it's fine to go out, but that's dumb. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're going to continue to not do that as much as possible. Right. Z and Eris are still on their away mission and uh, trapped there. And uh, I sent them a message just here recently about a uh, funny picture of a cat and a bird. Uh, with a caption having to do with mythology, and Eris enjoyed it, so I can't uh, report Z's current whereabouts, but I'm sure they're well. Or, you know, there's As Z. well as can be expected during this unusual time, Ooh, as every a... email says now. <laughs> I'm going to do a whole <laughs> podcast on COVID euphemisms and how I hate mm. them all. Did you see that, that somebody wrote a poem using the first lines of all I of did. the emails they received? And I received? hated them all. <laughs> During these uncertain times, mm-hmm. now that we're spending a little more time at home. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> Privilege. <clears throat> Excuse yeah. me. Right. So, yeah. we are working our way backwards through the space-time continuum, not unlike an anti-time anomaly. Mm. Uh, it's getting bigger as it goes backwards in time but that's for the next generation we're not there yet yep. we're not uh, at anti-time yet we started with picard <laughs> the latest entry in the star trek series we went to discovery from there we're taking a brief detour now into the jj abrams directed slash produced series of films mm-hmm. uh, what fandom tends to call the kelvin timeline because the inciting incident that makes it distinct from the rest of the star trek universe is the destruction of the uss kelvin so named kelvin because jj abrams grandfather was last name, name was kelvin. kelvin kelvin often appears in uh, abrams work as does the number 47 but 47 also appears in Star Trek quite a bit, too. Yeah. So those two things are not completely mutually exclusive. When we started this episode, you were like, I don't really know what I'm going to say, so why don't you just take the reins? And I started talking about Kelvin and 47. You're like, get out of the way. <laughs> okay, so I got I, this. I, I like J.J. Abrams before he started doing, when he was just like a TV guy, and before he started doing like bajillion dollar movies. So, like, I love Alias, and he created that show. Um, and I watched so many commentaries, and I have all this random, weird, you know, trivia knowledge about J.J. Abrams, or Jabrams, as some people call him. Who calls him Jabrams? Jennifer Garner. <laughs> Does she have, like, some kind of speech impediment? That <laughs> They just called him Jabrams, because, oh. you know, J.J. is okay. too much to say. So I've always enjoyed his stuff. I don't hate him the way a lot of people do. I don't hate him the way a lot of people do, too. Yeah, so if but you're also, looking for a J.J. Abrams hate podcast, this is not the one for you. And I... But there will be plenty of, like, honest criticism. Yes. Yes. I don't think he's perfect, but I, I, I've enjoyed some of his work. Um, Super 8 is one of my favorite movies of all time. It is, and I like it a lot. I would like it less if there were no monsters in it. I just want to see the movie about the kids making the movie. Mm. That's the stuff that hit me, hit me right in the middle of the forehead. Mm. 
I I I felt a kinship with the the director kid a bit too much. Like that yes, was that, yes, that I was I was absolutely one thousand percent that kid. Did I yell production value at my friends as a child? <laughs> Probably. Possibly. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But we're going to talk about the J.J. Uh, Abrams associated films, uh, 2009's simply t- titled Star Trek, 2013's Star Trek Into Darkness, and 2016's Star, Star Trek, Trek Beyond. Beyond. I think. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> we can. You get a preview of what we're thinking as far as our feelings on the film. Laura, you like them all. I, for the most part, yes. I, I don't have quite the same disdain for the second film that you do um but i completely understand why right. you feel the way you do about uh, it's Star not Trek a refl- uh, into, into darkness. darkness it's not yes. a reflexive criticism i have mm-hmm. legitimate yes, yes grievances against the movie yes yeah. as a whole like hey this movie's kind of fun in places i do like the second one mm-hmm. it's got a few awesome parts we can have some of that discussion today but when we rewatched them recently we had a pretty detailed conversation of what would have made the second film just a better overall film and i i think we we had some good suggestions yeah I, yeah i i could have and that's okay so you you enjoy all three that's the that's, the, he- yes, that's yes. the headline yeah i i like one i have very specific mm-hmm. edit notes on on that movie and we'll get into that i have deep abiding issues with two two needs another rewrite on the script Mm. so it's like a foundational problem with the movie whereas i think one's problems could be fixed in the editing room Mm. yes uh and three i've got no problems with yeah watch it again and three is quite enjoyable yeah I, i think three is one of the purest Star Trek movies in the whole series because it's interesting in the entirety of the original series they never come back to Earth of the 23rd century. Mm, it's once. always like Earth of the there's past. A, there's a so time tra- a couple shoot time on the back lot. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple time travels back to back to Earth of usually the 60s or the 30s mm. or what have you. You never see Earth. As uh, as Starfleet's and the Federation's right. Earth until the motion picture, hmm. and in the entirety of all of the movies from the motion picture to Star Trek Beyond, there are only two movies that don't have scenes that take place on or in orbit of Earth. Ah, oh, yes. And that is this one uh, Beyond the the latest film, probably the last that'll be in the Kelvin series if hmm. uh, the business concerns are any indication, and Star Trek Insurrection. Those are the only two that didn't go back to that well. Every other one has a ship leaving Earth, coming to Earth, mm. etc. It's probably then those movies, because I think we've said this about Insurrection too on occasion, like mm-hmm. it feels more like an episode of the show yeah. made into movie form rather than part of some really huge movie. Right you know, cinematic universe almost, um, well, is. But, like, you know, it, it's 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 very much, and they even make that joke at the be- near the beginning of uh, Star Trek Beyond, where yeah. he kind of cracks, like, our lives are starting to feel episodic. Sure, and yeah. Yeah, because he's acknowledging the <laughs> the series in a, in a cute little nod and then moving on to whatever we're going to experience for that week. And and the, the, the entirety of that movie is not 
attached to canon at all. It's yep. a new story. Mm-hmm. And it's a, maybe a little like the, the character of Crawl or Balthazar Edison as he is mm-hmm. eventually, spoilers from here on in. Yeah. Uh, as he is eventually revealed to be, was sort of a contemporary of Captain Archer and Correct. his era. Uh, fought in the Zindi War and fought in the mm-hmm. Romulan War and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, it's a it's a whole new character. Now, is it the most complex, mind-bendy sci-fi story of all time? No. No, but it's just it's fun. And that's yeah. what Star Trek is at the heart of it. It needs yeah. to have a little bit of fun to it. Anyone who claims that Star Trek wasn't funny or, you mm-hmm. know, just is like some weird pure sci-fi thing, no, it's... It has to have an element of fun, I think. And I always like when new Star Trek fixes broken previous Star Trek. Like we talked mm-hmm. about how Picard, in uh, the, the series Picard, improved Nemesis in a lot of ways by mm. really making those stakes real and that sort of thing. Yes. And uh, bringing Seven of Nine into a, a new context, whereas mm-hmm. we've been rewatching Voyager. And Ugh, don't we'll do get that, that to yourselves. We'll do it for you. Wait, wait. If Voyager's your favorite Star Trek, uh, yeah. more power to you. That's true. I shouldn't hate on things people like. We'll we'll get there and we'll have some opinions about it, but No, I take that back. I can hate on things people like, mm-hmm. but I will not denigrate you for liking it. Yes. Many people love Voyager. I am not you one of You and those. I are not on board with Voyager 100%. I've grown to accept it over time. But I also think Seven of Nine in that new context improves Voyager. Oh, she's a much better character in Star Trek Card than she is, I think, in Voyager. But I also think it deepens her character in Voyager yes. as well. So it yes, makes... so maybe once she shows up in, in Voyager, right. I might have a, a better appreciation of we're, where we're her We're still in the Kess years of our Voyager yeah. rewatch. So, yeah, it, so yeah. to be continued on that conversation. But the point I was going to make was with the big scene where uh, Jayla... Uh, Dayla's boombox, for lack of a better yeah. term, is used to disrupt <laughs> the uh, crawl's swarm of ships. They use sabotage, and that segues into my big beef. It does with with the first movie, but this actually made it pay off. It did, <laughs> and I, I think my one big complaint about the first two thousand nine Star Trek, the the one J J Abrams first directed, was the scene where Lil Kirk is chased by RoboCop while he listens to Sabotage by the Beastie Boys. Now, let's unpack a lot of that, because (laughs) there's not a moment of the scene that I like. There isn't. There isn't. No, you you dislike all of it. (laughs) You and I met right around the time this movie came out. Yes. So, And we've been married for what other people would view as forever. Is this the first movie you and I saw in a theater together at the same time? May have been, yeah, hmm. probably. I don't think we were together at that point, no. but we were in the same theater when we watched it. Yeah, I think you were—you happened to be in the theater the second time I watched it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You were there with those people from church and that one lady who answered her cell phone in the middle of the film. It was a Unitarian church, guys. Settle down. Yeah. <laughs> Still. Yeah. Wow. No, she didn't answer. No, she did. No, she, she had a whole conversation. She made a call. Oh, she made the call. <laughs> Yeah, no, 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 it's way beyond that. Now, Unitarians are pretty lax with with the dogma and the rules, mm, but, but man, I whipped around on that lady. Theater. Yeah, I, I, ooh, I was like, get off the phone. Ooh, all right, well, rewind. Yep. Uh, 
So yes, this the scene. scene. Okay, <laughs> early on, we're treated to a flashback of Kirk's youth in Iowa, uh, a very dry, arid, rocky Iowa, where he has stolen uh, someone's car. The subtext is that it's his stepfather. Mm-hmm. Greg Rumberg, who's also in almost everything J.J. Abrams does. Right. They're besties. He has a Nokia cell phone in, uh, in the car, which is... As you do in the future. Dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and then plays uh, a Beastie Boy song as he proceeds to drive the car off a cliff. And the only tenuous setup that that, that scene has is a scene later on where Chris Pine shows that it like, it like shows that he's good at hanging from things which <laughs> I don't need in the movie. Mm, yeah. uh, some people have said, "Oh, it, you know, it's the the uh, counterbalance between young uh, young Spock and uh, young Kirk." I've said that. You've said that. Other people said it to me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I dismiss it. <laughs> oh, okay. Because we get this massive sequence at the beginning. It's one of the better parts of the movie with Kirk's birth. Mm-hmm. But we don't get any correlating sequence on that with Spock. There's not the perfect symmetry as we go through the first half an hour of that movie. Now, if there were, if we did witness there, Spock's birth... There was, but they cut it out. That's oh. why they got Winona Ryder to play Spock's mom. She had much more to do in the longer version of this film. Oh. If they had left in the birth of Spock, then I'd go, okay, symmetry. Baby Kirk, baby Spock, young Kirk, young Spock. Mm-hmm. That, that works. But now we have... Baby Kirk, young Kirk, young Spock, they're adults now. Yeah. It's not not great symmetry. And mm-hmm. I think the fundamental problem I have is I don't like believing in Gene Roddenberry's perfect vision of the future where people are still listening to the Beastie Boys. Because <laughs> the Beastie Boys are dumb. That's that's the flag I will... Mm, that's the that's, hill that's I will die on. That's what you are going to... Yeah. But Beyond brings it back and it's almost a setup in this very loose trilogy that these films form mm. and it pays off in that third movie. It does. It does in a just a a goofy fun way that like you could have substituted anything but why not call back to Beastie Boys. <laughs> right. I say I say you lift that one scene out, the the, mm. the RoboCop Beastie Boys sabotage scene of the first one. It's a it's a pretty great film from beginning to end. It is. I would have almost no problems with it. It is. And let's, let's, I think we have to acknowledge the casting, and that is the yeah. one thing that you say J.J. Abrams does really well, and I completely agree with Flawlessly you. Flawlessly, top to bottom. Casting everyone in this has been amazing because mm-hmm. you, while the people don't necessarily look like their predecessors from the mm-hmm. original series and the original movies, and they're not doing impressions they're, of them either. They're, right, yeah. exactly. Like even, even, um, Bones, uh, Carl Urban, who's yeah. maybe doing the closest thing to an impression. He he's leaning into mm. it a little bit because that's not his. That's not the way he normally talks. He's not True. even American. He, yeah, um, he's adopping a yes. sort of Southern accent. Yes, but, but he's, he's not doing a DeForest it, Kelly impression. Right. Really, he's yeah. he's made it his own, and he does it so well that you're you're not you're like, oh wow, that's not AMR from. <laughs> From Lord of the Rings. That's not what I was thinking at all. I'm a nerd. Yes. You are not a fantasy nerd, so that's I'm okay. not a fantasy nerd. I was like, <laughs> I, I, I didn't put it together that Carl Urban was in the Lord of the Rings movies until much later. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. Um, that's the only reason I knew who he was. I didn't know. I, I don't think I was aware of him at all mm. prior to this. And like, the, and you have, you have uh, John Cho, mm-hmm. who... Doesn't even look like George Takei. Different ethnicity, too. Completely different. John Cho is Korean? 
Mm, I'm not sure, but it's I think a, you might be right. It's a tenuous branch. Yes. To, I remember there being some... He's not Japanese. He's not Japanese. And there was some mild controversy at the time at the, when they announced mm. his casting that the person playing Sulu was of a different ethnicity than George Takei. And uh, George Takei said he had no problem with it. It was, mm-hmm. you know, meant to be a celebration of all regions of the earth. So mm-hmm. it, it was not meant to conflate all people of Asian Mm. ancestry as one ethnicity. Question, Mm. and you will know the answer to this, I'm betting. Okay. Is the character of Sulu of Japanese descent? Yes. I don't think it's ever really firmly established his ancestry... He's from San Francisco. Right. That's about I, all I, I know about there. his his history. And he was he had an affinity for talked about samurai culture. Yeah, like he fencing and the, yeah, 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 yeah. I can't immediately recall a primary or secondary canon source that would firmly put Sulu as of Japanese ancestry. So it's not that Sulu has to be of Japanese ancestry. It's that George Takei was and is very vocal about it and talks about it. Right. Um, And so is that where people were just upset? Uh, Yeah. Okay. I I would imagine. I think Sulu is a Japanese word. Mm, Okay. No, yeah, that... I'm not not looking that up from any notes or anything, so you can always... Correct okay. me, internet, if I'm wrong, but I yeah. think that's correct. But it's interesting that George Takei was sort of put off by the revelation in Star Trek Beyond that Hikaru Sulu has a husband, I, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term. I don't know what the... It, it, I don't know if they were actually married, they, but they he has a male partner. He has a male partner, and they mm-hmm. have a, a daughter. They have a daughter together, yeah. Whose name is Demora, because we know that. Yes, because she's in... Uh, Generations. Generations. Yeah. He was a little put off by the fact that Sulu was depicted as gay. George Takei was. Really? He thought it was too... Like, he... There was a mild amount of controversy at the, mm-hmm. over that, because uh, he, uh, he always said he never played the character as, as gay. Right. And so wedging that in just didn't sit well with him. But wasn't it in an homage to George Takei himself? It didn't quite take fire like a huge controversy. Yeah, but I think That's they asked him about it, and he was like, eh, I'm not that big of a fan of it. But okay. uh, it, I mean, it wasn't like. But it also was just, it was such a chill moment. Like, he's, Sulu, in the beginning of the, the of the third movie, he's got mm-hmm. a picture of his daughter on mm-hmm. his, um, I, I don't think his partner's not in the picture. I think it's just a picture of his daughter is mm-hmm. on his console. And you know he's excited to see his family when they right. get to the space station that they are docking at at the near the beginning. Yorktown station. It, Yorktown. His daughter is being carried by this man. They embrace mm-hmm. and then they walk off to, you know, hang out together. So and like hands. Was it? I thought they had their arms. They might have been holding hands There was as some well. degree of affection. There I, was, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. But it's just so like, hi. Yeah. I think they kissed. They may have. Is it good or bad that I honestly, I was just like, it was just such a normal yeah. moment that I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> the the communication, whatever they actually did to communicate it, communication mm-hmm. was that they were together. Yeah. And yeah. then you then you pan over to Kirk, who just kind of smiles like, oh, they're reunited. Yeah. And then later he uses that kind of as like, you know, like these are people who want to get back to their families and their families at Yorktown are in danger later right. in the movie. That's and- good writing because it, yeah. it very subtly adds that because it's also That's sort true. of a fan service thing because it goes back to generations. Mm-hmm. I think now would be a good time to hit our commercial break real quick because we cool. hit about the midpoint. So we're still here. We're still mm-hmm. isolating. 
Yep. Donate to food banks, listen to scientists, anything else I'm missing in the big scheme of things? I mean, no. No. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I'm so tired of this at this point. <laughs> but not tired enough to just go out and... Yeah, not yeah. tired of, like, like yeah. I can stay home. It's yeah. fine. But have, it's the... I'm tired of the ridiculousness of other people who mm. seem to think that going to a gym is way more important than, you know, the health and safety of other human beings. Right. On a brighter note... <laughs> <laughs> Let me just bring it down a little yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> For other entertainment needs, uh, our friends Z and Eris are still uh, producing sort of off-format episodes of their show, uh, The Holiday... Not The Holiday. We're, this is The Holiday is Broken. They do As the Myth, as the myth as Turns. As the Myth Turns. All of these can be found through PartyApocalypse.com in addition to the things I work on, my movie reviews, blogs. A uh, new book is coming soon. We've kind of been working on uh, Eris is working on the cover for the book we've been working here at the house on an audiobook version of it so that's something we're also producing on the side uh, the fourth wall is there so if you're lis- needing to binge listen to something it's out there check us out uh, and uh, we'll keep producing these shows until it's safe not to do so and we'll go back to our original format where we were smack dab in the middle of the original series season one. Yep. I think a uh, quick preview of where we are going from here. Next uh, episode, we'll do Enterprise. Then we'll, that will mm-hmm. begin our trip backward through the Berman era of uh, Star Trek. We'll do Voyager, Deep Space Nine. Voyager. Uh, we'll get through it. We'll, we'll get Deep there. Space Nine. Deep Space Nine. <laughs> and I actually quite like Enterprise. So. And I don't mind Enterprise except for one We'll get to. We'll, we'll talk about that in that we're week. Getting yeah. ahead of ourselves. We're getting here. ahead of ourselves. Uh, <laughs> TNG, and then we we'll, might even do a uh, original series episode. Uh, if we we're still isolating at that point, we might do a uh, I don't know a Star Trek book club or something, and <laughs> force Laura to re- read some Star Trek books. Oh, oh, let's 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 no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when I pitch things in the middle of commercial breaks. <laughs> dare you sir <laughs> anyway so uh with that all being said let's go back to the episode and so when we left off we were talking about george takei mm. sulu john cho but just in general we started that with the casting casting is brilliant I, yeah I think no it's great really there's not a weak link in the chain except for in the second movie do you do you want to get to that? Because I feel like yeah, I, I, that's important. Right. I I I like Benedict Cumberbatch. I think mm-hmm. he's an excellent Sherlock Holmes. I think he's insanely great casting for Sherlock Holmes. Yes. He's got a face that was like carved out of uh, Arthur Conan Doyle's imagination. Mm. He's not Khan. Mm. Khan was. A Sikh Indian warrior, genetically enhanced, played by a Hispanic actor. Mm-hmm. Whereas Benedict Cumberbatch is the <laughs> whitest man to have ever lived or will ever live. Mm. I mean, he, he does come from England, so, you know, right there. It's... Come from England. Idris Elba came from England. Idris Elba would have been better casting for Khan. But when when I were, if I were to say, like, an Englishman, your first thought is usually of a very pasty white guy. It's Benedict Cumberbatch. Yes, yes. Or Wesley Snipes from 30 Rock. Oh, <laughs> I was like. I, I really messed with your head. <laughs> that but. was a 
deep thing played by Michael Sheen for those who are unaware. (laughs) If you're not, you should be. Another pasty British white boy. (laughs) Not, not very bad casting starting from there. Uh, The need to go back to Khan is superfluous. Yes. Now I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to say Benedict Cumberbatch would have been fine casting for something else. I, I like yeah. him playing a villain of sure. sorts. That's kind of fun to watch. Sure. Had he been another character, it might have been better. Yeah. If he had been, like, say, with the Kelvin timeline, they changed it up to where it was one of Khan's followers. Like, Khan didn't make it. In, in oh. They opened up the, the freezing tubes and Khan's dead. The next one over is mm-hmm. Reginald Dunwhipple. <laughs> I'm genetically enhanced, I am. <laughs> Mac would not be good casting for this British fellow. I think the the writing on display in uh, Into Darkness is sort of lazy. Mm, yes. From beginning to end. The the notion that Khan escapes from Earth to go to Kronos using a transporter mm. not is not only just bad, like, oh, I've got this Glipglorp that will fix all the problems sort of writing. It's it totally invalidates the concept of the show and, and the series and the franchise. Like you don't need a spaceship to get to another right. planet. So. If, if, <laughs> if Khan beams himself from Earth to Kronos using Scotty's newfangled transporter thing, which is never used again. Mm, true. But if they had it, they had it, then they don't need to go use spaceships. There's even an Enterprise episode, I think in season four, where... The inventor of the transporter is like working on transporter 2.0, which is that. It's and mm. and everybody's like, oh no, this is going to invalidate starships. What kind of job are we going to have from here on in? Of course, it doesn't work and ends up creating I don't know, lizard babies or something. Mm, cool. Uh, I'm maybe conflating a few things there. Voyager reference. Yeah. The the elements that I think work. Okay, the elements that I enjoy from Star Trek Into Darkness. I like getting to see Uhura. Just kind of like stand up to the Klingons and flex her uh, linguistic muscles and be kind of awesome in that scene. I like that. Um, and the things that I like are really just are, are like that. They're just moments. Yeah. I really do love the warp, the the battle at warp mm. that the two ships have. It's not a bad sentence. where the. Yeah. Like just the warp effects, I think are 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 neat in the in the movies in general because they're mm-hmm. different from the other versions of Star Trek you've seen. Yeah. Um, how they go to warp is different, um, but the fact that they're at warp, firing things at each other and knocking each other out of the warp stream, I thought was just awesome. And it's really only like a twenty second long thing. And people thing. get whole. Uh, there's a whole breach while they're at yeah. warp, and people get sucked out. Like the whole thing is just like mind blowing. I'm like. What am I watching? I mean, it's. I think it would be made better if the whole thing were kind of silent because you know you're out in space. But whatever. Um, I think they blew that out of the water. Yeah, in, like, no, the first they, they messed that up. Of the original series. <laughs> they this already is, messed that up. This is not a, a universe where things are <laughs> silent in space. This is true. But like, so there's little things like that. I think, and we had this discussion when we rewatched it recently. Mm-hmm. Was if they would have focused less on the con angle to it all and more on the, there's a faction within Starfleet that wants it to be more military and they are developing this secret, like, 
what did they call it? The Dreadnought? This like it's it's the name is actually the USS Vengeance. Okay, so they're yeah. they're developing this ship that has like these insane capabilities and is built for battle, mm-hmm. and they want to make Starfleet go in that direction. And then you've got our crew who's like, no, you can't do that. Like I'm not a writer, but like I feel like that is a better concept maybe that they could have played with at that point you're, more than what they did right. at that point you're kind of already shaking off some of the bullshit in the movie so that's mm-hmm. already a step in the right direction i think mm-hmm. you need a little bit more in the section 31 sections of it uh the whole plot line about that seems like warmed over 9-11 conspiracy theory garbage mm. really when you think about it a movie where khan noonien singh crushes the skull of robocop with his bare hands <laughs> Should be my favorite movie of all time. It should. It the really fact should. that it isn't spells that there are deep fundamental problems in this movie that don't, right. don't work. Uh, it's the last time we see Leonard Nimoy playing Spock mm, uh, before his untimely passing. Well, not untimely. He, he had a good run, but yeah. his unfortunate passing. I think that scene is mishandled. I think the be- <clears throat> the way that scene really could have been something special is if. Carl Urban got involved in the communication because he was standing there on the bridge as well. Mm. And he got into an argument with Nimoy Spock. <laughs> that could be cute. If handled correctly. It, yeah. It doesn't need to be a big plot line, but five seconds where, you know, he's like, oh, God, two of them. Right, right. Yeah. Something. Yeah. And then Nimoy's like, please, doctor, govern your passions. <laughs> yeah. Quinto says, I agree. And then uh, then he's like, that's it. I'm going back to sick bay. I mean, yeah. doesn't need to be a lot. Yeah. Just a little bit. Just something. Yeah. Because I think Nimoy is the secret weapon of that first movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not in it all that much. He's got really three scenes in the whole movie, but it's absolutely, it working is dependent on him. It's the moment when, his first appearance in the film, when he turns around and looks at Chris Pine and says, and, and with enough of that tempered Vulcan emotion he says because this is a guy he hasn't seen in 80 years yeah james t kirk and i'm like now i believe this whole new crew is the same characters i grew up with because leonard nimoy told me they are yes and i appreciate the fact that they have a picture of the original crew which i believe you told me was actually from star trek 5 it is um but uh, in the third movie the yeah. the cons- i mean Leonard Nimoy has passed away mm-hmm. um and they do say goodbye to him by basically it's like Zachary Quinto as Spock inherits some of his possessions because he is Spock. And one of those things is just a picture of the crew from Star Trek V. And, you know, they haven't altered the appearance of anybody to look like anybody that we're currently seeing. It's just a... And Zachary Quinto's looking at him like, oh, these are my people. Yeah. I know these people. And do you want to know how I can tell it's Star Trek V? Nobody wants to know. That's a buzzer-worthy... It is. It is. It's Uhura's hair coloring. Oh, okay. And the walls and the bridge. She does have a very distinctive hairstyle. So, In Star Trek yeah. Five, it's very yes, distinctive. Yes, yes. Yeah. No, no, that makes sense. Yeah, so. yeah. And did you say the wall coloring? Yeah, on the bridge of the Enterprise A, yeah. Yeah. Nerd. And right, well, and, and that's <laughs> the last time all seven of those characters were together, because by the time mm. we get to Star Trek Six, they're super on the Excelsior, and yeah. things have kind of... Oh, that's a good movie. It's a good movie. I love that movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. You know why? Because Nicholas Meyer directed it. Mm. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's good. Yeah. It's good. Into Darkness, I don't like the, the Wrath of Khan rehash because I think Wrath of Khan is, it, 
Wrath of Khan is already a good movie. Yes. So like it's like if they were remaking some weird angle from Star Trek Five, people might be like, okay, maybe that's better. Or like Picard is making Nemesis a little bit better. Um, yeah. But they're not. And they're, they're not even they're telling the story anything. in a new, really They're just doing the same way. scene reversed. Yes. Yeah. And, okay. I don't think... It, it's not hyperbolic for me to say that Star Trek The Wrath of Khan is an important movie for me. Correct. Yeah. I will I will. I'd put that, that on a list of movies that should never be remade. Hmm. Back to the Future. Hmm. Star Trek uh, The Wrath of Khan. I'm blanking. Those are the two that should never be remade. <laughs> but apparently they remade Wrath of Khan in some ways with Into Darkness. Mm. Also, the opening scene where Kirk brazenly and without with malice of forethought that, that not only breaks the Prime Directive, but tramples upon it with, <laughs> with, with devilish glee and uh, forces the Enterprise to be the god of these uh, people on planet Nibiru and all he gets for his trouble and he lies about it and he lies about it in the report and then Spock tells on him doesn't Spock doesn't tell on him he just issues a truthful report and Kirk has the fucking gall to be mad at Spock never has white boy privilege been more exemplified than in the Kelvin universe Kirk he doesn't graduate college he gets promoted up to the head he fails upward he fails upward and then when he gets called on his bullshit a little bit it's everyone else's fault yeah 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 and all he gets for his problem is a temporary demotion yeah 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 not 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 a fan of much of what's going on in into darkness Yes, yes. But when we talk about the worst Star Trek movie of all time, I think there are three solid candidates for that title. For worst film. For worst Star Trek film. Okay. Of all of the... the uh, okay, I know which three you're referring to. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Mm-hmm. Nemesis. Nemesis. And Into Darkness. Mm-hmm. Each of the three groupings of has films their own, has their own yeah. candidate for that. The original series movies, the Next Generation movies, and the Kelvin movies. I think of the three worst Star Trek movies, Into Darkness is the best. Mm. It is ill-considered. I think the writing is bad, but it's a fully produced movie. They didn't they didn't run out of money. They didn't... Mm. Uh, yeah. And like you said, there are some fun moments to it. Yes. Whereas I rewatched Star Trek V, and Star Trek V is the one I would defend before. I rewatched Star Trek V recently. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> they just ran out of money. There's nothing, there's nothing good in that movie. <laughs> Like, Shatner hates Star Trek and people who watch Star Trek, and this is his vengeance. <laughs> yeah. So, I would. I'm gonna say, Star Trek Five is the worst movie of all time. And if you, <laughs> it took me a while to get there because I hate Nemesis. You do. Yeah. You do. And I and I dislike. Into would you Darkness. still think that if Star Trek Picard hadn't come along and sort of helped rewrite a little bit of of Nemesis? Possibly. I I think I think what really changed it was a, a reviewing of Star Trek V and somehow just finally confront like getting getting used to my own bullshit and confronting the fact that Star Trek V is a bad movie. Mm. Bad, bad movie. Yeah. We'll get there one day. We will. We will. So, I may have to, through mm-hmm. the course of this podcast, I will actually have to watch it in its entirety, which yeah. I don't think I have. Yeah, you're better off. Yeah. I also have not seen Nemesis in its entirety, 
and that surprises me. Voyager in its entirety. And you're, and there's turns out there's reasons for all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've seen a lot of Star Trek, but those are, I think, the three biggest holes. But they're also the three that are, like, not that great. So Yeah. I think there there's two other things I would say about these three films. Did mm-hmm. you have anything else you wanted to get into? Yeah. What are your thoughts? Okay. I, I may have more, but. Yeah. It, it's it's a very, very hard to quantify sort of thing. But Jayla, the, the mm-hmm. in, alien friend they make mm-hmm. in, in Beyond, reminds me of our cat. I can't say that's a thought I also had, so please do share like, why. <laughs> the, the sort of skin painting that the character has. So like the facial markings? Facial markings <laughs> resemble the, the fur patterns on our cat's face. Okay. And temperament-wise, it's about right. Hmm, she could be very nice. She, she means... But she wants you to do stuff right. for her. She means well, uh. she wants it done her way. Mm. And she's not above, you know, making some noise to... Mm. Mm. Yeah. That's weird. I can't say I had that thought. Jayla reminds me of our cat. Okay. But I like Jayla. I, I specifically yeah. love her relationship with Scotty. Yeah. Montgomery Scotty, as she calls yes. him. The fact that he just has this like instant bond with her, uh-huh. um, I think is great. Yep. The other thing is, I think everybody talks about Thor being the introduction of Chris Hemsworth as a verifiable mm. movie star. Nah. Nah, bruh. It's it's this first movie. He he plays Captain Kirk's dad mm-hmm. in a short little movie at the beginning of it, and I think it's probably the best. Now he, Max says short little movie, but it's it's not its own movie. It's what you what what it's part of the film. It's, it's not like a short film. at the beginning of a Pixar film, right? But, it's, but you could cut it off there. And you it could. Would, it, 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 would, it could it, be it, its it, own self contained little little film, and you're like, oh my god, that was good. Like, and I, I made the comment. It's like yeah. this could have been a short trek, right? Um, like what they're doing uh, between seasons of Discovery. Yeah. Um, just a short Absolutely. little thing. Um, it's a good movie. Um, you've got, uh, so Kirk's parents are on mm-hmm. this ship, the Kelvin, that's mm-hmm. about to just meet an untimely end. Um, and Kirk's dad doesn't make it cause he's got to ram the ship into the enemy ship essentially to save all of his people who are escaping mm-hmm. and including his wife and brand newborn son that they weren't going to name Tiberius because he thinks that's an awful name. Right. You, we have no backstory with these two, but you firmly believe and you want them to make it. And you're like, like, oh, it makes me cry every time because I'm like, oh, my God, he's not going to get to the shuttle. I'm not a crier. But you're not. <laughs> there was one time we watched that movie on an airplane going to <laughs> California for my sister's wedding. Oh, yeah. And that was the closest I got to because because people cry a little bit easier on airplanes because like the pressure on it and, and, mm. and the altitude there was a moment there were like am i gonna lose my shit over this movie <laughs> it's worth it's yeah. worth it if this yeah. is the first time in your life you've ever yeah. cried it's worth it because it it's it's something and michael giacchino's score mm-hmm. is impeccable especially yeah. in the first movie mm-hmm. um he's got these great themes going on and it's 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 one of those like I appreciate a movie that has a theme or you know a, a melody that you hear that you can hum and you know mm-hmm. what it's from. It's it's one mm-hmm. of the reasons I think John Williams is so successful is all of his stuff is recognizable and you know that's Jurassic Park. You know that's the Superman theme. You know that belongs to Star Wars. Well, I I for yeah. me this score 
belongs to this Star Trek movie. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's things like that. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, it's just it's perfect. And Star Trek scores aren't really that hummable other than yeah. like Jerry Goldsmith's the motion picture score, which the becomes mm-hmm. the next generation theme. Um, I would say the first contact melody that he does mm-hmm. um, is I can hear it and I'm doing it, but it's not one of those ones where you could right, right. badly hum it and people know what you were doing. Right. And that's about it. Like the, I like the Wrath of Khan score because I think James Horner is... Mm-hmm. Anybody who worked on Wrath of Khan is A-OK in my book. And I, But if I were to hear it, I probably I would be like, oh, that sounds familiar, but I might not recognize, yeah. be like, oh, yes, that came from this exact film. Also but true like, that like a lot of James Horner movies, especially of a certain era, sound mm-hmm. somewhat similar. Like, mm-hmm. really, a lot of the Alien score was adapted from parts he didn't use for the Wrath of Khan. Yeah, neat. Yeah. <laughs> So. But yes, yeah, so so it's impeccable music, especially in those first few minutes, setting up this emotional center for a film. Right. Um, it would have worked as a as a fifteen minute movie. On it would have. That that's that's why I call it a short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's pretty great. The third movie is also I think an excellent. I I do wish there were going to be more, but you had mentioned some business problems, so it sounds like there yeah. won't be any more of the new Star Trek films. Beyond didn't bomb financially mm. but it didn't perform like paramount was wanting it to to mm. levels of say a guardians of the galaxy or some of the marvel movies right. and which is what they were looking for and they were willing to go to another kelvin movie and they were even going to bring back Kent chris hemsworth maybe some more time uh, travel shenanigans to have you mm. know kirk and son do Neat. do do something uh but they were going to need both hemsworth and chris pine to lower their price in order to do uh-huh. it, and they weren't willing to and do Hemsworth it. And Hemsworth is a little apart. pricey now. Hem- <laughs> yeah. they, they caught him at a good time for the right. first movie, yeah. but uh, these days... <laughs> Hem- Hemsworth's a little pricey. Pine, I think, he's never he's not really attached, or he's not the headliner of a big franchise other than this. Uh, he's, he's Wonder, Wonder Woman, Woman, but he's... Yeah. He's not Wonder Woman. Yeah, he's, he's in the he, films. Yeah, he, yeah he, he's the Natalie Portman of the Wonder Woman. He is. He is. Yeah, which is fine, but it, mm-hmm. you can drop him from a third movie and not yeah, not yeah. miss anything. You, this crew would be some missing something without Captain Kirk. Yeah, well, and and also I'd kind of wondered because Anton Yelchin died as yes, well, yes. and he's he played uh, the young Chekhov, yeah. and so just a tragic freak accident. So yeah. he. He passed away, so the third film is also dedicated to him as well. And Leonard. And Leonard. Um, But it's, you know, so it's like, what were they going to do with that character that they, you know, he's... He was memorable enough that I'm like, I feel like you'd have to, you can't just recast him. You'd have to kill off the character or, or you know, ship him off to Starfleet Medical for a year or something. Uh, oy, oy. <laughs> I think when they were still ramping up for a fourth movie, JJ said, we're definitely not going to recast him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seemed like a bad idea to kill him off off screen. But True. not like JJ can handle doing that at mm-hmm. all. Yeah. Rise of Skywalker. Um, <laughs> uh I, I think the way you could have done it in a fourth movie is he's not there, but they could have had a throwaway line about him serving on the Reliant, hmm. which would have been a Wrath of Khan callback. Ah, you don't have true. to, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have to make it a whole thing. Just he's, yeah. you know, he's out there, and we'll see him again someday. I, I don't think they would recast him. I, I think the the fate of the next Star Trek movie is very much up in the air. Uh, there's an outside chance at a Kelvin movie, but I think Paramount's going to have to pony up more cash that they're just not 
yeah. interested in ponying up, given the returns on these movies. Mm. If they do make another one, mm. I really hope they have Simon Pegg write it, because he did a did great job. job with Beyond. Uh, yes, he did. And he didn't... He, he didn't make it a whole unaccessible trekky fest yeah it no was it a, was it was just a star trek movie it was yeah it struck just the right chord i think i, th- I think you're so right. if that is the last of the kelvin series that mm-hmm. we get mm-hmm. i'm okay with it i am too yeah there's talk of another kelvin movie there's t- uh quentin tarantino had made the round <laughs> saying he had a pitch for one and he he uh the uh bad robot actually got a writer to work on it and uh there was a possibility that was going to be his next movie i think that's Less possible than it was, say, maybe a year ago. I feel like that would just have way too many feet in it. Well, that much is definitely <laughs> certain that, yeah, we're the, the foot fetish dial was going to be turned up at least a little bit if Tarantino was involved. Yeah. I, and he'd I, be in it. He'd have some weird role in it. I just can't see him he, acting in a Star Trek he, movie. He'd be a good Harry Mudd for the, the, the Kelvin universe. Okay. Maybe. I would watch the shit out of that. <laughs> I would be first in line <laughs> for the for for Tarantino's movie, regardless of whether or not he's he's actually playing a role. Mm. He wasn't in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I don't think. No, mm. he wasn't. So he doesn't always appear in his movies. Oh, okay. Uh, he did in his early movies, to be sure. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but I would have been excited to see a Tarantino, <laughs> and, and a, a real even in the movie realm, the Star Trek model has been very much TV based, and it's not it not been a director with a vision sort of medium mm, true so a tarantino movie would be interesting i think that's probably not going to happen i'm betting there's going to be a new star trek movie uh the guy who writes and produces the fargo tv series mm-hmm. has the job to write and direct it at the moment i don't know if that'll end up panning out mm-hmm. but i imagine it'll be something new yeah uh, something not kelvin related oh okay so it could be a whole new thing no new iteration huh. there's talk on the internet i wouldn't put this much above rumor that maybe some of the uh currently produced cbs all access shows might feed into a movie there might be a picard movie or, or a discovery movie or no like a pike movie pike movie that's I what i want pike movie like would be good. He, maybe if you don't have a show with them but they could do a movie yeah yeah i would watch a pike movie i'd watch a pike anything yeah yeah we didn't talk about pike in these movies Oh, that's true. Uh, Bruce Greenwood. Yeah, he's he's a good Pike. Yeah, I like. It's a different energy than the than any of the other versions. I think. Yeah, it's the character I think that is least, with possible exception of Chekhov, the the ones least trying to tap into or look like the previously established canon mm, version. True, and I I think that contrast becomes much more clear once you have Anson Mount in mm. Discovery, not doing a. Uh, Jeffrey Hunter impression, but definitely you get uh, a little bit of a vibe. The line between Anson Mountain Jeffrey Hunter is much shorter than mm. Bruce Greenwood and yeah. uh, Jeffrey Hunter. But he does kind of step in as this like almost pseudo father figure for mm-hmm. uh, Kirk. Yeah, uh, especially in the first one where he essentially just dares him to to join. Uh, and definitely in the second one where he's like, Yeah, true. You broke our most sacred rule. <laughs> Yeah. Did you learn anything? <laughs> no. Well, then I'm gonna have to put. I, I'm, I'm gonna put my foot down. You're grounded, right? <laughs> for an indeterminate amount of time. Never mind that in any previous story in this universe or the last universe, you would have been fired. Yeah. Yeah. Probably put in prison. Yeah. Because you did a bad thing. Yeah. And then you lied about it. <laughs> yeah. And you still don't have your degree. <laughs> 
But I you're need a you white to go guy. Back. Yeah, you're a white boy. Here you go. It's fine. Not to mention, it's like, hey, I'm going to demote you to be my first officer, and then yeah. I'm going to be incapacitated, and, uh, oh, you're the captain now again. Oops. You, you've, you've broken our most sacred rule, and you've betrayed everything we believe in, but you are going to be my most trusted aide. Right. That's your punishment. Yes, yes. Ugh. Yeah. Into darkness, I... <laughs> I mean... Star Trek V is a, a objectively worse movie, but maybe Into Darkness is more frustrating. Mm, could be. Maybe. I think that about does it for uh, anything in the Abrams movies, unless you could think of anything else. Huh? I think next week we're going to uh, take a look at the, like we said, the last of the Berman-era Star Trek series, Enterprise, starring Scott Bakula and some other people whose names I can't remember right at the moment. <laughs> The prequel series taking place mm-hmm. 100 years before the original series, 200 years before the 24th century series of Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager. Mm-hmm. I think you, you've, re- you've been rewatching it recently. I've been checking yes. in and out. Uh, you're digging it. Uh, yes. I, I like it. I've got some notes. Yeah. And we'll get into that. We'll get into that. So we'll see you next time, uh, two weeks from today, where we're going to talk about Enterprise. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.